Hi everybody and welcome to um, this live broadcast. My name is Jackie Elliott. Welcome to Sober Sassy Life. Welcome to my podcast uh, listeners and to all those who are uh, watching. It is Wednesday the 13th of September. Um, I'm a little late to starting live but I am glad to welcome you. I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes just um, just checking out um, to make sure that I am feeding through to all the right places. So if everybody just bears with me for a second, I will uh, see what's happening. Yep, okay, I am doing everything that's supposed to happen. So that's great. So let's get back to it. So welcome to this uh, weekly uh, live broadcast. Uh, It's great to have you here. And we are gonna do Uh, We're going to talk about echo chambers today and how um, echo chambers in our daily life affect uh, our ability to quit drinking and also to uh, really embrace a sober life. But before we start, I'm going to uh, talk about um, some new stuff that's happening with Sober Sassy Life in in our What's New section. Uh, And then I'm going to have a chat about booze in the news, which leads quite nicely into our echo chamber section. So firstly, just to talk about what's new Sober Sassy Life, it's um, depending when you're listening to this, um, it's uh, September and September in the US is recovery month. And here in Canada or British Columbia, we have just celebrated Recovery Week. So it seemed to be a good time to launch uh, a couple of new things through Sober Sassy Life, some new resources uh, for you guys. If you are new or if you are um, sober curious or if you are uh, struggling a little bit uh, with getting to where you want to be with your sobriety, So the first thing which um, I've launched is my Let's Chat uh, resource, which is the ability for uh, any of you who need to talk to someone about uh, getting sober, about your struggles, about uh, any particular uh, specific difficulties you're going with, to to connect with me for... um, face-to-face video conferences or on the phone or wh- whatever the technology allows. So we could have some hour-long uh, chats to get you back on track. Then we can do that in two ways. Either it can be for a uh, to get you over a roadblock. So I have a robot package, which is two hour-long um, conferences, if you like, with uh, some written strategy notes and a bit of an action plan to get you over Uh, whatever hurdles you're facing at the moment or you can uh, choose to to chat to me have me be your your friend via skype or phone or whatever you want for six months or a year so there's a couple of packages available and uh, i'm as i say they are available right now and i'll be dropping the links in um below this video uh, on the website or in the podcast page uh, wherever you find it so that's and so that's happening the other thing which i'm launching again um this for september on friday registration is open is a six weeks intensive course called sober made simple and it's really for me to um take away all the confusion all of the overthinking uh, and present sobriety 
giving up drinking in a very straightforward way. Getting sober is hard. It might be the hardest thing that you've ever done, but it does not have to be complicated. And the six weeks course is really everything that I've learned delivered in a very straightforward fashion to help you through. Um, registration opens on Friday. The earlier you register, um, the better you have it, the lower the price. And I'm also giving away some bonuses. Um, and the bonuses will be a copy of my new book, um, plus also a live video conference with me to get you on track to make sure that you get as much out of this uh, six weeks as you possibly can. So again, I'll put the link in there. As I say, the early earliest bird is going to get the lowest ever price. So if you are thinking about doing a course, a course if you are thinking about getting some help, then uh, this will be the best, um, most uh, return on your investment, if you like. If you can imagine how much you spend on booze, then um, this, hopefully this course will be uh, a much better investment in yourself. So those are two things which I wanted to tell you about. Also to let you know that this weekly broadcast, I think is going to be a, uh, uh, a regular event. So, um, so now what we're going to talk about is booze in the news. And I researched and found uh, an interesting article which comes from The Guardian in the UK. And it's called, and it's, the headline is Drinks Industry Downplaying Alcohol Cancer Link is a report. And it's a report about various um, bodies um, who are either being a little misleading on or about the... Uh, or, or misrepresenting the actual physical harm that drinking can do. Now, the first thing that struck me about this report is uh, that the investigative journalism have found about the Portman Group and an organization called Drink Aware are among those who are accused by academics of obscuring the heightened risks of cancer in drinkers. And the reason why that jumps straight out at me, because Drink Aware is... Uh, I've read articles about them and I was unaware that they were funded by the alcohol industry. So that's the first thing that strikes me about this report is the fact that articles out there where you think that you were reading things from independent organizations can very often be funded by uh, industry who have obviously an ulterior motive. And the ulterior motive we have to assume for uh, the alcohol industry is to sell more booze. And this, um, this report in The Guardian uh, is really very much about the drinks industry misleading the public um, by downplaying this link between alcohol and cancer, especially breast cancer, in a bid basically to protect its, its profits. Now, um, alcohol, the alcohol industry does want to portray itself as socially uh, responsible. Um, but this report tends to suggest that they are trying to distract attention away um, from alcohol as being one of the key causes of cancer. Now, what they've said in this article, and I'm not entirely sure whether I agree, is that um, they've accused the alcohol industry of using the same kind of tactics as the tobacco industry did way back, way back when. And as I go forward and talk about echo chambers, uh, I'm going to talk about the this, the differences between the tobacco industry back in the 70s and 80s and the alcohol industry right now. But this is quite a damning report. 
Um, the Portman Group and Drinkaware, which are two UK bodies, as I said, financed by the alcohol industry, uh, are involved in what the researchers, academic researchers, have said is systematic denialism of the heightened risks of cancer from drinking. And 20, uh, they analyzed uh, a number of um, resources, a number of materials, and, and of 26, over 20 downplayed or did not include accurate information about the links between alcohol and cancer. So what they're really trying to, to, to do is, is to down, is, is to have people carry on drinking, basically, isn't to not worry about it. So what they've also said is that the Drink Aware and Portman Group have tried to suggest that it's just binge drinking that is the dangerous drinking. And this is it also interesting to me because most of the documentaries um, that we see about alcoholism and drinking is really focused very much on the dangers of binge drinking. So you tend to see lots of images of um, Lots of images of, of people who are uh, drunk, who are binging, who are, you know, the, the, the images of people outside of pubs, vomiting, that kind of thing, and really talking about that as, as, it, as it looks. It looks dangerous, right? But really not highlighting the dangers of people like me and maybe you who are drinking safely, as we seem to think, in the, in the safety of our home, and we might not be falling down drink, but we are what they call maintenance drinkers. So this is a really interesting, um, really interesting piece of uh, uh, journalism, which I think is worth reading if you are uh, at all concerned about the health risks of alcohol first of all because it is a causal link and so much of the research that we see is a, is a is a correlation of a link but also to give you a little bit of a red flag about some of the articles that we see which we think are being informative and are not and if you are at the stage of um, sobriety where you are looking to get some kind of reassurance that maybe your drinking is not as bad as you thought it would be, maybe it's not as dangerous as you thought it would be. This kind of misreporting, if you like, or, 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 you know, representation that booze is not that bad for you, is something that I mean I would have clutched onto like a drowning man clinging onto a straw to say it's okay, I'm not that bad, I'm not going to die. But really, but really it's, uh, it's a misrepresentation of the, of the facts. And possibly, possibly, people would drink longer and more often um, because of it. So it's from The Guardian, and it is a report done on the 7th of September, and it's called Drinks Industry Downplaying Alcohol Cancer Link. And I will uh, post the... Uh, link into the um, transcript of this uh, this video. So what I wanted to talk to you about today was echo chambers and I think that that media report uh, actually does follow on quite nicely from um, quite quite nicely from what we're talking about uh, to do with with the how alcohol is reported. So 
when we talk about marketing, when we talk about media representation, if you think back to when the tobacco industry was advertising directly to people, it was very direct advertising. It was very in your face. It was like, smoke this cigarette, it's good for you. Smoke this cigarette, it's gonna make you look great. Smoke this cigarette, it's gonna make you sophisticated. Uh, and when we look back on that, uh, it doesn't seem very sophisticated, the marketing. So if you ever watch Mad Men, which is about the advertising industry, you will see that the um, way that marketing and advertising progressed is that it started re really appealing to psychology. They started using focus groups. They started uh, looking at the way that certain products make you feel about what image uh, is projected if you are using particular product. And this was when marketing started to become um, very much more sophisticated uh, than it, you know, than, than it used to be. And the reason which I say that the tobacco industry and the alcohol industry are very different uh, is that now industries have just this vast amount of data which they can collect and draw on which is integrated into all aspects of our life. They pull data from everything that we do, every time we use a credit card, every time we make a purchase, every time that we fill an online survey, every time we click on Facebook ads, every time um, we go onto Twitter, every time we use Instagram, just about every aspect of our life, our online life especially, is uh, we are and leaving little trails of data which tell industry just a massive amount of information about ourselves, our own personal likes and dislikes and thoughts and feelings and all that kind of thing. And this is used in to create this vast echo chamber where uh, marketers and industry can actually uh, feed back to us what we've fed to them. So here's an example. If you like fashion, for example, and you are and you visit a fashion website, maybe you're shopping for a pair of boots or something like that, that will, as soon as you go onto their website, that fires off an electronic trigger that links to your social media sites. And the company, the website that you are visiting, can immediately follow up with an ad about what you've been looking at. And they can drill down even to the precise product that you've been that you were looking at. So if you have ever researched something on a website and then like, oh my God, look at that. An hour later on Facebook, there's an ad for that self-same site looking at me, then that's a mechanism that they, that they use. Just recently, I was researching some uh, new accounting software. And before the day was out, the, the websites that I had visited were advertising to me on Instagram and Facebook. So that's one way that people, that one way that we create this echo chamber. Um, the other thing is that when you're on social media and you click on things that you like, you will get more of it. You will get much more of what you like. So if you are politically um, minded, then, and you follow a particular newspaper site or, or whatever, you're gonna get more of that coming, more of that type of stuff is gonna come. So, I mean, the allegedly, you know, it was being portrayed as this big sinister thing that only the Russians did. But this kind of data collecting and marketing and um, research 
this is accessible to everybody from the smallest marketer out there to political organizations to governments and that kind of thing and another uh, example of a way that we create our own echo chambers is from literally what we purchase and if you want to read a really excellent book about marketing and listen to a great podcast about it uh Terry O'Reilly is a Canadian ad man who does a podcast called Under the Influence. And he tells a great story in his book of the same name about um, Target. Target wanted to uh, get a piece of the action in the baby industry, very lucrative segment of uh, the population, um, young parents, because of all of the stuff that babies need. So it started to collect data from people who were purchasing things for early pregnancy so that they could target those people with specific ads about baby stuff. And they did this so well that in one local Target store, uh, a father rushed in and was absolutely irate with a Target manager because he accused that store of targeting his teenage daughter and encouraging her to get pregnant because she kept getting these personalized flyers through the mail uh, advertising baby stuff. And he said, you know what, are you, did you want my teenage daughter to get pregnant? What the hell's going on? Well, uh, what he had to do was apologize a month or so later when um, it was revealed that his daughter was expecting a baby. And Target knew that before he did, just based on her consuming behavior. So all of these uh, examples is just to show you how powerful data collection is and how easy it is to build up around ourselves this kind of echo chamber of everything that's familiar to us, everything that we like, which is actually fired back to us at the same time. So we end up in this bubble of stuff that's familiar, stuff that we want, stuff that we like. So how is that, how, how does that stop us? How does that become a barrier for sobriety? Well, what that means is, is that we have this echo chamber of our behavior that's coming back to us. And we are so familiar in this kind of bubble of marketing and, and listening to the messages, the familiar messages but it's really hard for us to, first of all, be aware of them, and secondly, to break out for it. Now, break out from those bubbles. So psychologically, we are attracted to what's familiar. We gravitate to people who are like us and who are like the same, like the same stuff. That's completely normal. We also gravitate towards information that reinforces and validates our behavior. We all want to think that we're right. We all want to think that we're good people. We all want to think that we are rational. We all want to think that we are objective and independent and free thinking and all those kinds of things. So if we see information, for example, a report that our drinking behavior is dangerous, this is information that causes us to feel uncomfortable about it because we don't want information that tells us what we're doing is wrong or is dangerous or is bad. We want information that validates what we're doing. So two things that, that could happen. We want to get rid of this uncomfortable feeling, which is called cognitive dissonance. So there's two ways that we could do that. 
we can either change our behavior to be in line with this new information that we've received, or we can look for different information that validates what we're already doing. And that's when these echo chambers become particularly dangerous. And that's when these reports, which are skewed and are biased and are not um, completely truthful, become particularly dangerous because we latch on to that that makes us feel better about what we're doing. Because it's hard to change our behavior, it's much easier to find someone to validate our behavior. And, you know, we get, we tend to gather around us people in our echo chamber that think the same way. So if you are uh, drinking at the moment, then you are likely to be socializing with people that are drinking. But it's not just our offline social, um, our offline social situations which reinforce our behavior. It's also our online. And that's why um, becoming sober is seems to be so hard why we seem to feel this this isolation when we first start out because every message that we is that we see that we've surrounded ourselves with is telling us that actually drinking is is a good thing and we should carry on doing it so how do we break through this echo chamber well the first thing is to be aware since i've quit drinking in the last few years i've been much more observant of the messages that are coming to me about my consumption. And it's very interesting. Some of the direct advertising that's coming um, by the alcohol industry at the moment, there's two uh, commercials in particular in Canada. One of them I'm going to call There's a Wine for That, which is by a wine company who's basically um, portraying every celebration uh, and saying, oh, we have wine for this. We have wine for the first time that you that you have a barbecue on your deck. We have a wine for this, for the wedding. We have a wine for this. So literally, we have a wine for that is reinforcing the message that every occasion in your life should be accompanied by drinking because there's a wine for it. The other one, which uh, I find really interesting, is one where it starts off where there's a lot of young people who are sweating in the gym, who are working hard, who are in the pool. And it's, it's very much a very powerful, you know, pounding away and lifting weights and that kind of thing. And then it finishes off with a more drinking beer together. And it, it's a very split screen of, of beer being poured, poured into a glass and, and people powering for a pool at the bottom. It's a very powerful message that alcohol is connected with being fit, which is, you know, jars with me now but back when I was drinking would have been um, a message I might not have been completely aware of it but subconsciously that would have reinforced to me that that drinking is part of a healthy lifestyle that's really that message those are two fairly direct commercials but is but if you start to look through your um, your feed if you look at articles that you're getting if you look at shows and media you know and you are more aware then if you can stand back from that for a little bit and actually say, okay, what message am I being shown here? What am I being told? And let me try and uh, listen to this objectively. So the other way that you could get out of, of this to feel less alone is to read stuff that you wouldn't normally read, watch stuff that you wouldn't normally watch, 
and connect with people that you wouldn't necessarily connect with. And that's when your sober community becomes so important to, to start to connect with people who are like-minded. And I had somebody um, this week ask, reach out to me and I'd say, well, where is the sober community? Where is it? How can I get some of that? How do I get onto it? So here's what you do. Connect with a connect with blogs. If you connect with blogs and you, and you can bring yourself to comment on blogs, uh, ask questions. If you can write your own blog, if you can start out there and you tag it sober and you start to read other people's blogs, um, then you will find that you connect with different people because what we do is we, we comment on each other's stuff. So you'll see me as Sober Sassy Life or Jackie Elliott or Wine Bitch commenting on other people's blogs. And from then you can click on the people who've commented and find different blogs. There's some really great sites that list recovery, the best recovery bloggers out there. You'll find different blogs out there that you can click onto. As soon as you start to communicate with people by leaving comments, you'll find yourself introduced to other people. And that's basically how you become part of the sober online community. There's lots of great websites that have forums out there. There's Facebook groups. And you can, of course, connect with me on Sober Sassy Life. Any one of um, my resources will, will get you to a point where you can connect with other people. So the, the big takeaway I, I want for you to have from this is to firstly to be aware that your behavior aided and abetted by technology and by the alcohol industry will formulate this echo chamber. And in order to break out of that and change your lifestyle, you have to be aware of the messages that you are being sent and um, start being objective about it. Start uh, listening to different, uh, different messages, connecting it off with people who are on a lifestyle, uh, on the lifestyle that you want to emulate. Now, the other last point that I want to say is it's important for us, I think, within the sober community to also not be judgmental because uh, a judgmental attitude means that we kind of end up uh, putting people off. And in order to, I believe, in, in, in order to encourage people that being sober is a good thing and it's okay, I think we have to accept that drinking's okay too that some people can drink. If we start to demonize alcohol, if we start to demonize people who drink, then we end, we end back, we, we, we end in, into this kind of um, at loggerheads thing where people are put their backs against the wall, are unable to cross over into a sober lifestyle. If you are constantly telling people who are that they are wrong uh, or they're misguided in some way, then the tendency is to for people to be defensive. The tendency is instead of being curious and saying, okay, well what 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 is this sober life like? Can I is it something I can do? If you end up demonizing the other party, then the more likely is that defenses go up and they're like, oh. I'll stick to my own echo chamber, thanks very much, because I don't want to be told that I'm wrong. The best way to encourage people to be sober is to say, hey, 
you know, drinking's good, but this is also good too. This, you know, this might be better for you. Um, I think that's a better approach than being very judgmental about people uh, who drink. And anyway, it's not nice to be judgmental anyway. So I think that is, is to keep your, is to, is to have a very open approach. Otherwise, you you're, you're end up otherizing people. And it's very hard for people who are very defensive to move away from their position and to join us. So that's my last thought for the day. So thanks so much for uh, watching. Thanks so much for listening, if you're listening. And um, I will be right back here next week uh, for another live broadcast from Sober Sassy Life. So um, thanks very much. Talk to you again soon. Bye for now.